Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the official Lion Face Productions podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. Today we dive into the finer points of Romeo and Juliet, talking about personal theories and how it connects and fails to connect with people. If you live in Northwest Ohio and would like to get involved with our organization, be it to act, direct, or anything else theater-related, please reach out to us at facebook.com slash lionfaceproductions. And now, on with the show. They're also the worst. You have a the balaclava? Worst. Yes, I do. Balaclava, which is different. Oh. Balaclava is something I really enjoy. Puff pastry and honey and things, I mean, are delicious. a little more baklava? I don't know what just happened. Aladdin. Aladdin just <laughs> I, um... Uh, okay, well, most Disney movies make me sad, so... Because I hate the musicals. And most Disney movies, movies are musicals. I so. keep forgetting how much you hate musicals, and it makes me sad. Musicals are mostly garbage, because it's like, I'm walking down the street, I'm walking down the street, all of a sudden I'm going to burst into a song about my fucking day. I do that all the time. People that do that are terrible. I am. I know you are. I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> okay, Pee Wee Herman. I know you are, but what am I? I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say, bounce off me in 60 years. Mmm. I'm sticky. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's what we're coming in on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no! Yes! Um, no, I knew he was recording, but at the same time, I was sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God. Let's talk about Romeo and Juliet some more. Mm-hmm. I want to bring up some... Let's talk about this garbage play. We should. We should. This is the Shakespeare podcast, episode six. Episode six. Episode six. We've made it this long, and you people are still listening to us. Hopefully. So what's that say about you? (laughs) That you have excellent taste. I'm I'm Ryan Hatfield. I'm uh, Elizabeth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenlee. I'm Chase Greenlee. And our special guest... I am Christina Hoekstra. Special guest! Yay! Yay! We are important enough to need a special guest. This is the first time we've ever had a special guest. She's super special. All second time. First time was less. No, you are the first special guest. No, I'm talking about this will be the second Well, No, but yes, you are still our first special guest. Because you're the same special guest for episode five as episode six. Technically, when we first started recording, Cassie was a special guest. I was. Then we realized that we're... But she lives here. (laughs) So I automatically, like, wormed my way into it. So she automatically became part of the podcast. It really wasn't wormed so much one day we're like, you were just in this. Well, because she came in in halfway through the first secret recording. So she's not in secret recording episode one. She's in secret recording episode two. Right. But then she was also in serial recording episode three and four, and she has been here for every legitimate episode since. Because again, I live here. She lives here. And if I wasn't here, it would take them three hours and they wouldn't get through a synopsis. That's also That's not true. We got through a synopsis the first week. Yeah, because of her. Because of her. She didn't show up until the second half. Ryan, she's your foil. You guys made me feel so special. You're my foil. She's our foil. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's fuck her up. Let's use her. This has taken a dark turn. <laughs> time I'm for, not sure time for our dislogic. <laughs> Boom. All right. Boom. 
So I no, Cassie, several Cassie things. has to be our voice of reason because Beth and I are often unreasonable. I, I am the Friar Lawrence. And you I'm are the, Friar Lawrence. The test drive here. And if we only listened, but we don't. But you don't. And like many of Shakespeare's characters, you are thus led astray. But, We're to be fair, they do talk to each other constantly. That's true. Yes, we do the thing that people in Shakespeare don't do. We talk to each other. We just don't listen yeah. to each other. That's true. I want to bring up really quickly um, some adaptations that exist mm, of the Romeo and Juliet. There's so many good stories. ones. There's, there are some good there ones. There are a lot of straight adaptations where it's just like movies or you know stage versions that have been filmed. Well, of the story. Like we've talked, we've brought, we've alluded to, brought up several times the Baz Luhrmann Romeo mm-hmm. plus Juliet released there's in all, 1996. There's also the one that was released in the 70s that every teacher walks in front of the the boobie on the screen. Yes, and which the actress playing Juliet was not allowed to go to the screening because she was not yet 18, and it was rated 18 and older for nudity, even though it was her nudity. She was was, not allowed. She was not allowed to go to the screening, and that is my favorite Romeo and Juliet piece of trivia. Yes. It It was her nipple. But she, she wasn't allowed she to, was see, not allowed to see it on the big screen. Uh, it was adapted into a Disney film, like, oh, wonderful. It was the second the, Lion King movie. The, yes, the Lion King Simba's 2. Simba's Pride was... Bit, was Not every Lion King is no. a Shakespeare play, Yes, every Lion Actually, King every is Lion King is a Shakespeare play. Yes, because, uh, because Lion King is Hamlet. Hamlet. Lion King one and a half is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Not dead. a Shakespeare play written by Simba. no, it's written by Tom Stoppard, but it's based on based Shakespeare off characters. of a yeah. Shakespeare play. And and Simba's and actually, and actually it arguably Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead is arguably one of the best Shakespeare plays ever written. Uh, and Simba's Pride is in fact based on Romeo, Romeo and Juliet, right. yeah. but The Lion Guard is straight for fun. Well, yeah. That's okay. a TV yeah, show. No, that's, that's not a movie. That, We're not talking about direct to right, video. That's Lion King Apocrypha. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, it's the Apocrypha. Uh, oh, in addition uh, to the movies, many movies that exist of uh, Romeo and Juliet. There's there also were, West Side Story. There's West Side Story, the stage musical. Right. We're going to rumble um, with those greasy sharks. Yes. Mm. There is a really delightful literary web series. I'm always going to be the literary web series person. Yes, you are um, our literary I, web series person. <laughs> expert, just by default. Because I know some of them. Um, but there is library. I, that's not where I know literary web series from, but I appreciate okay, the benefit of the, the doubt. You search the webs um, for them. But there is a really delightful one that was uh, produced by students <clears throat> at Tufts University. Um, it's called Jules and Monty. It's all on YouTube. It Jules is and Monty. Jules and Monty. It is, it's pretty short. It's only 18 episodes long. I think it runs about the same length of time as like a feature film. Um, and it updates the story to take place at a college between rival fraternities. And the way that they handle modernizing certain elements of it is really, really smart. And they go, bounce back and forth between modernizing the dialogue and committing to Shakespeare's straight dialogue, which I thought was really an interesting device. Um, there's also some... Interesting book adaptations. You can't swing a dead cat through the teen space at the library without hitting at least a handful of well, it's because Romeo and Juliet YA adaptations. There is it's a, because um, young adult literature thrives on yeah. garbage stories like this. But specifically, there is one called Romeo and or Juliet. It is by um, Adam North. Well, I think downplays the necessity and, of it being Juliet for the story to continue. But it is it is Romeo and Juliet. Choose your own adventure. 
And oh. it is absolutely delightful. There's oh, also, the yes, it's the adventure. same guy. Same There's guy. also a modernized version called Romeo and Julio, which is um, by the author Sharon Draper, who bases it in Cincinnati, which is where I was from. I had to read it in uh, going into middle school and high school. Um, and it it is about different races and things like that. And it follows the Romeo and Juliet storyline pretty closely. But in the modern era, there's internet dating and yeah, things like that. Yeah. And then there is, of course, the most perfect adaptation, which is Romeo and Juliet. I was, oh. I was heading to that, yeah. Speaking of musicals. I was wondering oh, Jesus. Speaking oh, of musicals. Fucking Christ. Romeo mm. and Juliet, the score of Elton John songs. I eat all Elton John songs. <laughs> it is probably the most amusing version. And and there are, there is also a book called uh, Still Star-Crossed, which is a continuation, and it was adapted into a TV series, which... I you made me read that. I don't think I did, because I actually haven't read it, but... Um, I hear good things about it, and it basically is a continuation of the play in which it it takes on the idea or concept that the feud does not actually end with the end of the play, and so the prince makes Benvolio and Rosalind get married in an attempt to end the feud. And that's as much as I know about it, but from the the things I see on Tumblr, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the Romeo and Juliet high five almost made me quit the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no. Ryan's been seething here for a, a solid 45 I'm sorry, seconds. Have you seen Romeo and Juliet? I don't have to. It's garbage. It's not. It's. I okay, you said it. you said Romeo and Juliet. It's and you about, got exci- it's I don't about know. garbage. No. I don't give a fuck. And and the sequel is coming out. I think this year. <laughs> and you got excited about that. I like, get excited about it. I got excited because Beth started to make the joke that I was going to make before I did. Because guys got excited. It's so about a fucking garden gnome okay. that wanted to fuck another underage garden gnome. No, there was no fucking in it. Uh, first of all, it's James McAvoy, who we all, if you know, he you know only does him. scripts after he like thoroughly looks at them There's, and invests. So that good. doesn't mean that it's good. Also, it's I garden gnomes doing Romeo and Juliet. Sh- that does not Ryan, make it good. Ryan, out, Ryan, out, I haven't out. seen it, so I will I will caution on your side right now. No, no, there is no caution. It's garden gnome Romeo and Juliet. Hey, There's hey, no caution. It's garbage. Hey, would you like to see a Romeo and Juliet with Jason Statham as Tybalt? No. Would you like to see Emily Blunt in anything? There's no! also the Laz Berman version, which we have constantly been talking about yeah. in the last The Laz Berman? She calls it the Laz Berman. Oh, Laz Berman! <laughs> Champagne! I, you know, Laz Berman did my favorite I have great pizza expectations. <laughs> the Laz Berman version. <laughs> the last Berman. But last, I think it is. Oh, that was bold. Oh, I, think <laughs> un, I think unlike last time, last play, where we had with barely any adaptations. Minimal adaptations to talk so, about. There are so. Yeah. Warm so bodies. Many. Also, unlike last time, Kenneth Branagh has not tried this one. Hmm, War- interesting. Well, it's because by the time Kenneth Branagh was doing Shakespeare adaptations, he was way too old to play Romeo. Well, hold on. Warm it bodies, is which is a zombie version. <gasps> oh, that is right. That's right. Warm, uh, yeah, yeah. Warm bodies. Yeah. Is, There's is, a, is, you know, but if we go too far, okay. So if we go too far, though, every time we get a pair of, and I'm going to loosely say, Star crossovers here. Anytime we get like. A difference here, 
then it's a then it could be a loose adaptation. Yeah, so, but because but they literally he the guy's name is R, the girl's name is Julie, the yeah. the this one, his, his funny best friend's name is M. Yeah, so, no, that, that I don't one is intended to be Romeo yes. and Juliet. Yeah, yeah, but I do think we can go too far with this because there was a show. Right. Called, Shakespeare already went too far. There was a show called Star Cross that came out a couple of years ago about aliens coming to Earth and then an alien and human falling in love, but they hate each other. They're, that just sounds wrong. Star Crossed Lovers does not necessarily make Romeo and Juliet. Right. And yeah. Star Crossed Lovers does not mean, I think, and this is one of the topics I've got written down here, that Star Crossed Lovers does not. Mean what mean, people think it means. Yeah, it doesn't mean that you're fated to be together. It means you're fated to tragedy. That the stars well, there, are yeah, against It means you. that you are going to have a terrible thing happen yeah. to you. That it's you're going to have a bad time. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. Star-crossed lovers is not going to be good. And if they come together in the end and everything works out well, you know what they weren't? Star-crossed. Star-crossed. Yes. So any of these that have happy endings, like Romeo and Juliet, spoiler alert, they don't break. Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't ruin it for me because I'm never gonna fucking watch the pile of garbage. I'm gonna have to find a way. If they did break, that would be the one scene you would watch. Somebody does break. Shh. Either way, it's not star crossed. They but I'm not gonna watch that pile of garbage. Yeah. It's not. Um, if you love, you love Elton John despite everything. And every song in there is an Elton John yeah. song. But what I what I liked about uh, Jules and Monty, the web series, is that I I do not, to my recollection, nobody dies in it. But the way that they adapt the I, the way that they adapt the idea of characters dying or this this romance ending in the most tragic miscommunication way possible. They adapt that in a really, really smart and interesting way. I mean, way. the play is literally called The Tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, they have to die. People have to die. Did <laughs> <laughs> that? It, it adap- be... Adaptations where people live, yes. They're wrong. Awesome, great. They're wrong. No. You have not, to die. No. You have to die. I think the point we're making I, here is if they don't die, they're not star-crossed. Everyone, not, everyone not should die. They're not star-crossed yes. and it's not a yeah. tragedy. Everyone yeah. involved in the play should die. And that, that's one of the things... The that nurse I, should die. Lady... Kyushu and Tibble weren't involved and they died. No, they were involved. <laughs> so, okay. So, let's talk, about, let's talk about Mercutio dying. Okay. Mercutio? Alright, Mercutio. 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 There's, you're putting a couple extra R's in there. You've been doing it the whole time. Four burrs in, and I can put as many burrs and R's as I want. So. You've been putting extra R's in there Mercutio. since we started. Mercutio. Mercutio. I'm going to hit you with this bottle. Please don't. It's not in my kitchen. We can have a South End Toledo thing. I'll call the police on my friend for no good reason. I don't really care. I live up there now. <laughs> we have never called the police on each other. High five. Yes. Beth, what would you like to say about Mercutio? Okay, so we spent a lot of when we were trying to talk about Act 1 talking about how awesome he was. So I want to know why. Why is he so cool? If he is dead so early, why is he so cool? I have a couple of theories. Queen Mab. The Queen Mab speech being one, everybody loves it. He delivers some of the best lines in the play. Mm-hmm. Queen Mab speech he, being even when Mab. he's dying, he has a sense of humor. He has a sense of humor, um, the, and I. Well, and he has a sense decides, of humor about his own death. Whoever decides to, I, 
it is impossible to get away with this show and doing it well without a star-studded cast in pretty much every single role, including Marcucci, because somebody's going to have to deliver that Queen Map speech, and you got to be good to deliver Queen Map. Well, and best, only a nut job actor, will cut off the Queen Map speech in your, the show. Your best actor in the play is playing Mercutio. Okay. The best actor you have in the play is playing Mercutio, because you're not wasting a good actor on Romeo. <laughs> Romeo barely delivers a good line in the entire fucking thing. And Mercutio has to be able to fight, too. And he has yeah. to be able to fight. Tybalt is your second best actor, because people are showing up to watch them fight each other. Romeo is the bozo that... Nobody gives a shit about. But Romeo really. also Don't has to chase fight. in the face while you're I'm not going to hit Chase, but Romeo barely has to fight because he's barely in any fights. He doesn't actually. He's in really, two fights. He doesn't fight Tibble. He yeah. stabs Tibble. There's true. a huge difference. And it's an accident more than anything. There's a huge difference. No, he stabs Tibble on purpose. He just doesn't fight Tibble. Tibble doesn't know that he's about to be stabbed by Romeo. I think it depends on the director. Okay, well, yeah, but he also okay, has the to director fight can make Paris. them have a fight. Paris is also an idiot. <laughs> right. That is your that is your solution for everything. Pretty in the show. much, they're yes. An idiot. They're all they are. They are all stupid. All right. Everyone in this play is an idiot. All right. Here's my theory. They're full of sound like of theory signifying Shush. nothing. No, that's a different play. No, but they still are. What's still a different play? They are still full of sound and fury signifying nothing. That's still a different play. I, think. I don't care if it's a different I play. I would like to hear what Beth Do you even know what play? It's King Lear. No. It's what Macbeth. is it? Macbeth? It's Mackers. Cool. This is a Scottish play. Okay. Can I but that, that is the definition of this play. I would like to hear what you were going to say, Beth. Me too. I'd like to get interrupted then. I didn't interrupt you. I was, I was talking. What were you going to say, Beth? Christina was interrupting me so you could talk. <clears throat> First of all, I was saying that I had a theory before you started talking. No. Well, you know what? We have a recording of this we can find out tomorrow. <laughs> so, anyway. If you're right, I'm sorry. If I'm right... If you're right, go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's what I thought you would say. I've got a theory. So I've got, here's my theory on it. Because I've spent a lot of today thinking about why is this character so cool? Why do we care about him? We don't care about Benvolio. Because Benvolio's an idiot. He said that every time Benvolio's names come up. He's the biggest idiot. So why do we care about Makushi when they have relatively the same role in that side of the organization? Mm -hmm. My theory here is that Makushio, until his death, is actually the hero of the play. If there was a hero, yes. So he is the one who is stalwart, upright, and facing north. He is our hero. He is the one who everybody is following. He's got an idea, let's go to a party. He's got an idea, let's do this thing. He's got an idea, everybody follows him. Until his death. And then once he dies, it forces Romeo to stop being an emo, whiny turdwad. Does actually force him to stop that? Because he continues that. But he, less. A whole lot less. Well, I think it makes him stop that, and instead, at that point, once Mercutio's dead, then, and only then, does Romeo step up to be a hero and fight Tybalt? Well, there's also the point that we've pointed out a but couple of times. Really there's a couple of points, there, there's a point when we've been 
pointing out a couple of times tonight, and that's it's it's Mercutio's death that literally turns this show from a comedy into a tragedy. And I don't know if there is any other character in any other Shakespeare show that literally is he's the one that's in there from the beginning to the little literally middle of the play and he's what is driving most of the comedy and then his death is what completely turns the play on its head into a tragedy and the, 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 yeah i don't know play, that there this, is another one yeah. this play is a tragedy from the very moment that someone says a word okay beyond that <laughs> Beyond I that, it is, a, it is a funny play. Okay, besides the fact that you hate this play, it is a funny play. There, literally, things are. Romeo has just married Juliet. If if the prologue never been had never been spoken, you wouldn't know. And this is the first time you've actually been reading the play. You would have maybe thought that things were going to go well because people had plans in place. Things were going to go... Okay, well, without, without, without the fact that the very beginning of the show tells you exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, literally, all of the exposition in the play... Forget the exposition happens, for two seconds. But you can't. It's literally told to you in the first 30 seconds Wait, of the play. So, right. take that first 30 seconds you and can't throw them out the window. Okay, we're just right, talking let about me re- Let me reiterate what I've said. Minus the prologue. Act one, scene one, through the point that Mercutio dies, it is literally, it's it's played out to be a comedy. And then Mercutio's death and Tibble's be- death. It's played, out, it's played out to be a romance. Yeah, it's a comedy of errors, though. It's a romance. It's a comedic yeah. romance. Well, no, all the romances Ooh, are comedies. rom-com. All the romances are comedies. Because they take place yeah. within three days and, and there's a wedding at the end of them. The problem is, is the play continues after act two. Well, if the play ends my, at Act Two, my point is being that once Mercutio, Mercutio is such a critical part of that comedy because he's the one that drives most of the hilarious lines, minus the nurse, and what his death is what causes all these other things to just snowball and escalate and turn it in and turn it into such a worse tragedy than it already is. It is the jump the shark moment. It no, is. it is. It is where they jump and the it, shark. It is literally the point of the of the play where everything like changes, and I don't know. But if there's Romeo another... never becomes a hero. I'm sorry, that was still well, an yeah, argument I, I but, get there. Right. but from the driving force of the play, I don't Mercutio know if there's another character dead. that does that. Yeah. Mercutio creates a void when he dies, and mm-hmm. somebody has to try and step in to fill that void. And Romeo tries. I don't think he succeeds, but I well, think because he he's steps not, he's, up. In, in no way is he a hero because he cowardly stabs Tybalt practically yeah. in the back. But but what's interesting to me was... He doesn't fight Tybalt, okay, he stabs yeah. him to death. What, what's interesting to me about the point that Beth brought up about Mercutio being the hero up until the moment of his death is that um, in preparation for this podcast today, I thought about reviewing the play and then I decided to watch Shakespeare in Love instead. Because it's basically, uh, the, same it's basically thing. the same thing. Um, adaptation. <laughs> and I am. That is another adaptation. I am certainly not going to argue that Shakespeare in Love is in any way, shape, or form uh, based upon historical accuracy. However, the, oh, the premise that they go with as you have Will Shakespeare trying to write this play is that he gets his leading actor back from touring the countryside performing other plays, and he wants to get him on board. And he wants him to play Mercutio because he wants somebody else to play Romeo. And this this guy who's this big hotshot leader of the, the Admiral's men, he goes, okay, you want me to play this character named Mercutio? Well, what's the play called? And Will Shakespeare goes, it's called Mercutio. Funny enough, 
Ben Affleck. Yes, Ben Affleck did that part. <laughs> oh my um, god, I forgot about that. Yep. But, but Ben Affleck. He is that that hero leading character, and so Shakespeare in that movie paints Mercutio as no, he's the hero of this. He's the hero of this show, and it makes me wonder because of the point that you draw, how much of that might have been true or a, a fair thank point. You, obviously, you. I feel justified in my musings. <laughs> there you go. No, no, and I, I don't disagree with you. Mercutio. What is... you're what you're disagreeing with is the premise that. That's what makes Romeo step into the role. Romeo of hero. never becomes a hero. And There's then, no and moment where anyone, anyone then, after Mercutio so, becomes a hero in this play. So let's instead of heroes, let's say driving force. I don't even think that Juliet becomes the driving force after Mercutio's death. I like that even better. I like Sounds that even name. better because Juliet, as I have previously stated in the last podcast, I think that the strength of Juliet's character in this play. Um, is on par with some of the stronger female characters that we will talk about. I think it is on par with. It's. Not, I mean, she's no Rosaline, but it's going to be Ros- on- not not the Rosaline in this play. Rosaline in a different in play. The, yeah, <laughs> um, but she she's but she's akin to uh, Olivia. She, it's gonna she's, be, not, yeah. she's no Amelia. Yeah, no. So she's going to be someone who is... As much as fighting. we love Amelia. We love it's Amelia. True. Oh, God, it's yeah. true. So we're fighting to make our own choices. That's part yeah. of the feminist movement, is fighting to and make I, your own choice. I do think that Juliet, for the most part in the show... I think she gets a bad rap because she gets lumped together with Romeo. Romeo, though, is... And that is, is a problem. He spends the play making bad decisions, whereas I think Juliet, for the most part makes the best choice available to her in any given moment. Save, perhaps, for falling in love with Romeo in the first place. She makes bad choices, but they are not necessarily... So let's say we which is, the worst Which is saying why, considering she's 13 years she's old. She's 13 years old, yeah, so yeah. she falls in love with she's a rake. She's an idiot, but who she's an rake. idiot who doesn't know any better. Yes, so, but from that point on, if you look at the choices that she makes... When when Romeo's like, you yeah. know, I want to sleep with you. She's like, let's get married. Instead of just me being a fling for you, if you're really serious about this, let's get married. I'll let's make name. it official. You know, let's try and bring our families together in that way, you know. Yeah. And yeah. so that's a solid choice. When that goes south um, and, and Tibble is slain and she has this choice of, okay, what do I do? She goes and talks to a sensible adult. Friar Lawrence, and she's like, let's get a plan. When I'm sorry. Her- I'm sorry. He's a sensible adult, and his plan is, pretend you're dead. <laughs> Give me it's a the Friar plan! And says, so, so, what do you do with your parents? Agree to marry Paris, and and follow through with this plan, which, as we said, is a good plan if as everybody would do as someone what they were supposed to. teaches, mm-hmm. as somebody who influences and shapes the minds of the youth, Yes. If one of your high school students comes to you and says, so excited for where this is going. Cassie, I don't know what to do. My parents don't like my boyfriend and they want me to date this guy. And if I don't date him, they're going to kick me out of the house. I don't want you to say, pretend you're dead. Can you do that? I'm going to give you a magic potion that's going to put you into a coma. They're going to think you're... I, I hope my students are listening to this because... Cassie, I want you to say, pretend you're dead. But don't say it with correct grammar or diction. No, pretend you're dead. Pretend you're dead. 
So what I need is for my students to listen to this, and now I need one of you to come to me and say I have a problem with my boyfriend, <laughs> so that pretend you did. Pretend you did. When we're talking about Friar, so a Jewish mother. When we're talking, pretend you did. So when we're talking about Friar Lawrence as a have you considered legitimate adult source to go to? The well, he's supposed to be. The fact that Much Ado About Nothing was written before Romeo and Juliet. And he had already pre-tested this pretend you're dead thing. And it, it worked. worked. <laughs> and this time he was like, you know what? That it worked in much ado. I think somebody at one point was like, that was a really dumb idea. And he was like, oh, hold my gold. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how dumb that idea could really be. Here, here, here. Hold. Shakespeare's like, hold my weave. I I find it really interesting that this is actually one of the few characters, main characters in the plot that's not officially affiliated with either the Capulets, either the Montagues, or the Prince. Well, it's because he's a friar. He's a, yeah, you know. he's a man of a cloth. Beth, Beth and, and I, is, Beth and I have switched to dead guy ale, by the way. <laughs> I mean, he it's literally bad. is working on too, the, the side of the city, so it's not like he's trying to manipulate Well, anybody. and this actually, the pin that I stuck up here... About mm-hmm. Friar, about yeah, the Friar. I'm going to take that pen out and discuss it now. There's a really interesting theory that I have seen um, proposed about this. Well, the Friar show. and the Apothecary are the same. No. Oh, pizza's here. Pizza break. Oh, we need a pause for pizza no. again. Okay, I'm I the pins. It does. It looks like a horn. That's why I picked it. To do, to do. All right. So Friar, are, are we? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I, so, I so my to do. My. My Friar Lawrence pin. Okay, so I'm taking the pin out again, but I'm going to keep it here in case things get sidetracked. This theory that I have seen, or interpretation that I have seen online, that I actually really, really like, and if I didn't already have my concept in place for my Romeo and Juliet, I might look into the feasibility of making happen. The theory that I have seen is that Friar Lawrence is actually the villain of Romeo and Juliet. Ooh, oh my God. He, he is the mastermind. He is manipulating all of this because he wants credit for ending the feud. So he is purposefully giving bad advice, shady or bad advice. Oh. Um, and he, he doesn't actually send the letter. Like he intends for the letter to get waylaid. He intends for Romeo to come back, find Juliet, kill himself. He intends for these two people to kill themselves because that will end the feud because he swoops in at the end and he delivers the monologue that basically gets them to stop fighting. So Iago leaves uh, Venice, takes the orders, becomes a man of the cloth. And decides to go be a friar in Rome. But I think that's a really interesting interpretation of, of this idea that Friar Lawrence is actually the driving force behind the action of Romeo and Juliet, and he is responsible for the way the play ends so that he can take the credit for ending this feud. I like that. That's a really... I like that a lot. There's also a interesting... It's way more interesting than the actual play. There's also an interesting uh, version that uh, Ryan uh, Albrecht and I talked about when we were uh, doing Romeo and Juliet for... Lion face a couple years ago, and that was the idea that uh, Lord Capulet was in fact the nurse dressed up in drag trying to comfort Juliet, which, with a couple of tweaks here and there, could be very interesting. Wait, Lord Capulet, <laughs> yeah, was the nurse, <laughs> yeah, in drag. 
Yeah. The man who wants her to marry someone else. He is being Lord Capulet, and he's trying to find a way to comfort his daughter at the same time. That's a very interesting take on it. That's... Thank you for sharing your unique perspective. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm agreeing with it. I'm just saying it's a theory. I feel that that, that has some That might be jumping the shark a little too much. Um, And only because it's very opposing objectives between the two characters. Okay. But... But it is interesting. Now, if you had said Lord Montague in drag... I would be like, yes, that would be hilarious. I mean, directly. Mon- Montague and Montague and Drag doesn't make any sense though. I actually, I only so much as he's like, all right, I'm gonna take your daughter. You wanna, you wanna start stuff? Are you drinking out of a French horn? <laughs> you were in the bathroom. That's my cup. <laughs> it's a euphonium. It's a, it's a. I'm Peter sorry. Mug. Are you jealous? No, I'm confused. That's okay. All right. What's so what next? else is on your list, Beth? I, I put okay. my Friar Lawrence so thing out I into really, the world. I really like that. I like the Friar Lawrence like the thing. Friar Lawrence. I do. I think that's interesting. I think interesting. that that is a short play. It makes sense for a short stupidity. story I would really like to explore. Mm-hmm. So we may talk about that for a November thing or a, a one-act play or something along Sounds those Sounds good. It makes sense of some of the stupidity. Yeah. It does. So other things I wanted to talk about were... Uh, let's first, let's take a couple seconds. Let's talk about Romeo's love and what it means for Romeo to love you. All right, Romeo let's, let's not love. get, let's, let's not, it's lust. It's lust. So Romeo... He wants to get his dick wet. What? Okay. So Romeo is in love with Rosaline, right? Yes. He is in love with her. The days are short, or the days are long, and he can't have her, and it's terrible, and oh, <laughs> Juliet. So... One, never mind. We already boiled it down to lust. So it's this very flippant thing. But to be loved by Juliet is a more permanent thing. I just think that she's a better character. Okay. Uh, yeah. Not to mention she actually reciprocates the feelings. Yeah. And um, Okay, so let's talk then. That was a dumb question. Uh, lots of lovers die. So lots of lovers die in Shakespeare plays. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorites that I hope we talk about soon and I will put up for something for us to do for a stage reading, uh, Antony and Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. They tragically die. Um, Othello and Desdemona tragically die. Oh. We just talked about that. It's tragic. I know. It's tragic death. That, that shit should really be called Iago's Revenge. It should. Um, and never should read the podcast that uh-huh. got it was. Uh, Hamlet and Ophelia, tragic deaths. Uh, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth both die tragically. So all of these lovers. Uh, mm-hmm. Lavinia no. and her beau. Lavinia and her beau. The the two brothers that rape her. That's tights. Little. Okay, we're not less okay, lovers. Okay. Little less lovers there. Chiron and Demetrius. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not really. Are not. Not really lovers there. Lovers. Okay. They were in your version. Where are we going with this? Okay. Okay, well, Chiron and Demetrius were lovers with each other. Yeah. In my They they died. They did, but they were... Okay, so as the plays are written, those are two male characters. When Ryan directed it, we he did it as a female and a male character, which made it very interesting. It was a Scarlet Witch Quicksilver relationship. It, yes, but when more I read Titus, I read the more incestuous. No, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are 
Anyway. Very incestuous. Okay. Yeah. So, your, so your the points. question is, what makes Romeo and Juliet and their death so tragic? Is it that they could have been okay if some things had just worked out? Because Othello and Desdemona could have been okay mm-hmm. had they talked to each other. If but, Othello wasn't an idiot. But uh, and, uh, Antony and Cleopatra, they were never going to be okay. The whole Roman Empire was against them. They were never going to be okay. Right. Um, Hamlet and Ophelia, could they have worked out? Like, is the reason that Romeo and Juliet call to us so much as these tragic romantic characters because we're told? Or is it because they die and could have made it? Those seconds. I, those seconds. Is that what makes it? I think it's, it, again, it goes back to they were married. They were happy. It was a it was going to be a good ending, and then people lied. But they weren't happy because he killed Tybalt. No, that's when people died. What happened? But they well, were yeah. married. It was going to be good, and then that very same day, people died. Sorry, I, go I, ahead. I think that as human beings who tell stories, we have a, a kind of cultural collective fascination with missed connections. We and, do, and this idea of. Almost, but not quite. And there are so many of them with with Romeo and Juliet, and it's not just like it makes it off sounds the like page. a Craigslist thing, you know. Like actually, there was a band, uh, Bance last Lance Bass movie about misconnections. But, but we see so many of them happen on stage, and they're they're so close that you can feel it. And I think that level of connection is kind of what draws audiences in because it's happening right in front of you, and you kind of feel like if you can just you know, exert enough willpower, maybe you can change what you happens. Can maybe you up. can, you yeah, can maybe it. you can. And I think, yeah. it, I think it, you know, playing out. So no matter what, no amount of belief is going to make them not stupid. Well, no, all right. All right. But, so, uh, th- so this misconnections, this barely moment, we've talked about Mercutio which I put another Mercutio. I put another R on there. We talked about Master M, <laughs> and we talked about Tybalt's death, mm-hmm. and about how these both of those deaths were almost not. Yeah, as Did well. The movie Hook. Do you call him Rufrio? <laughs> no, but Rairiura. <laughs> so, uh, Robin Hood. You're so still awake. Stop doing that. Um. But they're, they're these... They Strikes So they, they put the... Uh, whatever. Mikushio. He's stabbed under the arm. It could have missed. It was barely a hit. I, I but think... it was enough of a hit that it killed him. Yeah. Tybalt, as well, was a stab, but he was trying to pull his punches. It could have stopped it. I so think... is this a theme that's running through the whole thing? I think it is. And I think that's, that's part of the reason that this... Romance is so endearing, apparently, to people. Enduring. Um, enduring. Is, is... I will give it that. Enduring, but <laughs> yes. not endearing. No, I, I agree. But but I think I think part of it is that it almost works out so many times. With with, with Hamlet and Ophelia, he's spiraling towards disaster from the it, beginning. It was they are the they are they are this far apart at the beginning of the show, and they just keep getting further apart. That was, As by the, the way, for the time. listeners, I, the farthest <laughs> apart, it started at about four inches, and then she went wider to maybe two I, I disagree with that, but we'll get to that when we talk about Hamlet. Yes. But but you don't... These other lovers who die in Shakespeare shows don't come as close to working 
as Romeo and Juliet do. I disagree. And, uh, Thomas Ophidius and Coriolanus definitely. Okay, do. well, I don't want to talk about have the anus play. Have I love the anus play. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> I have not read it yet. We'll read it when we get there. But, um... We but saw I think... it, right? Didn't you see it? Nope, that was, uh, that was before we came back. I saw that one. I also yeah. didn't see it because I just had a baby. But I, I like I it ask myself beautiful. this question a lot. I really do because my biggest issue, as I said last episode, my biggest issue with Romeo and Juliet is when it is put forth as this great romantic love story because it's not. It is a minor romantic entanglement between two teenagers that leave six people dead over the course of three days. Can we retitle it? Yes. To that? Yes. It's long. Well, I have, I have, a, I have a quick question. The tragedy but, of yeah. being a Big dumbass. All right. Well, let That's me the new let me uh, let me let me pose this question to you guys because I I literally don't know what the answer is. I just I just understand it as fact. With you saying that everyone's such a dumbass and it's an awful they are place, it's the entire and, the entire and, play is a play of stupidity. And you saying that it's not this great love story. Mm-hmm. It 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 is what you said it is. What is it? Do you think? And it doesn't matter that if you like it or you hate it. It it. It's just fact that this is actually one of Shakespeare's most popular plays. It's it's just a fact that it Ooh. is in fact one of the most popular plays. And I was just wondering what you guys thought made it that. So I I, I think it is because it's stupidity. Stupidity. I think it is because there are great moments. Uh, the prologue. Um, I think that what act I wrote it even down. Juliet Act Three Scene Two. I think that the the scene um, in, at the balcony. It's because you have the balcony beautiful. scene. Yeah. You have the Queen Mab speech. You have the fight between Tybalt and Mercutio. Yeah. The fight you, between Tybalt or between Tybalt and Romeo is. Well, there's not too. even a fight. It's Romeo either, stabs he, him in the back. You know, beyond the beyond the actions, but the dialogue there is very good. But I, I yeah. I think part there are of the moments. reason. Yeah, yeah, I think part of the reason that it endures so much and the reason it is so popular is because it does have what we in this culture tend to view as these great romantic moments. Whether they are or not is up for debate because I think somebody like hanging and skulking about in my garden waiting for me to come to my balcony so they can talk to That's me. why that never worked for me. It didn't work for me. Yeah. But to a lot of people in our culture that is seen as this grand sweeping romantic gesture. In our culture, well, the it's idea... the idiot standing in your yard with the fucking with the boom boombox. Box. It's hey, the 80s. Well, hey, if, but, you watch it. That was John Cusack, and it was amazing. It was stupid. But, but It was the Romeo and Juliet moment. It was right, dumb. Yeah, right, right. But the idea, and I don't personally buy into this, but I know that a lot of you know people in the culture do, the idea that you are so in love with somebody that if they're not part of your life, you can't go on and you would rather die than be with them. I think there's a, a pervading notion in our society that that's the kind of love you should hold out for. And I think that's what becomes enduring about this play. I don't agree with that. I think the play needs to be about the senselessness of the fight and the fact that hmm. that really the reason that Romeo and Juliet don't work is not entirely because of their own bad choices. That is part of it, but it is more the circumstances that their families have put them into. That's why they're star-crossed. That's what they can't escape. No matter what decisions they make for their lives, they cannot escape the situation that they've been put into by the senselessness of this feud. It's almost like a, like a caged obsession. Yeah. So, so is it, yeah. do you think that is, or I'm sorry. I no, you're know. fine. Uh, I do you think that is why we have so many adaptations of it as opposed to 
Hamlet or Othello. We got or, a lot of Hamlet. Yeah, we got a lot of Hamlet. But, but yes. Well, Othello or, or Anthony and Cleopatra, which are essentially tragic lovers, but Romeo and Juliet is by far the one that is the yeah. most... I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, yeah, I think that's why. I think it's part of it is that what we talked about, that missed moment, that missed connection, mm-hmm. that, it, oh gosh, it almost walked out. I'm gonna rewrite this so that it does. That, that feeling of catharsis. Uh, I think everybody... Let's, let's go back to our theater classes right mm-hmm. now, and we'll talk about uh, Aristotle and the poetics, and mm-hmm. that we need the catharsis. Mm-hmm. This play had, ends without the catharsis. And we don't have obviously, that moment. Obviously, people... Well, it's because the play is about idiots. It's true. Obviously, there are people like Ryan Haffel who hate the, who hate the play, but I think anybody who is enjoy the play at one point or another has had at least one moment where they're like, oh, I wish they would have ended up together. Yeah, it's that moment of catharsis. It's missing. And maybe that moment of catharsis, I've not mused on this before. So here, that moment of catharsis that's missing is what drives people to continue to rewrite it, to continue to rework it, to try to make that happen for us. And maybe that's why we keep watching it and keep reading it and keep talking about it is because there's something that just itches at the back of our eyeballs because that thing that we know is yeah. supposed to be there isn't there, but we can't describe it. But but I... Well, it's also the worst play that's ever been written. So oh, of course that, you would that's not true. It. I've seen The Room. <laughs> no, that, that, okay, The Room is a movie that's not a play. Well, every movie is just a no. play. But, just, but I, yeah. I do not believe that Shakespeare meant for this play to become this great epic tragic romance because in Midsummer Night's Dream which he wrote a few years after Romeo and Juliet the play that is put on at the end of that play by the mechanicals the most lamentable tragedy of Uh-oh. Aramis and Thisbe, Aramis and Thisbe. Is Romeo and Juliet it is the story and in that play it is made to be ridiculous it is made to be And that's why I love Pyramus and Thisbe so that play within a play there is how garbage Romeo and Juliet is. So what I wish that we knew that we don't know mm-hmm. is how it was received at the time. Yeah. Because that is something that we don't know. There is no Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> for restoration. Can't check that. But, right. Man, I yeah. wish. <laughs> okay, time <laughs> travelers who are listening to this podcast, can you please do that for me? Can you time travel can you back time to travel 16... and set up Shakespeare's Whatever. Rotten Tomatoes. And and I don't I don't know if New you guys podcast would, name. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if you guys would agree with me on this, but I do think there is a small portion of why it is so um popular compared to some of the other ones is I honestly like Midsummer Night's Dream. I think it is easier to understand than some of the other Shakespeare's. Oh, hell yeah. Well, it's a little, I, I find, it's more I, accessible. I, I, yeah. yeah. I'm in the minority of people that hate this play. I really am. Most I don't people, think you're in as much of a minority as you think. Yeah. Most people I know like this play. Most of the people I know like it. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Because it is garbage. Because... Nobody is even remotely sensible to this play. But I think that's the point. And and I think that because we don't end in the tomb with the lovers dead, I think because Shakespeare writes beyond that and he writes and ends it with this note of... We're all fools in love. Uh, he ends it with this note of the prince and the friar saying to the families, look at what you have done. 
look at what this ridiculous feud has cost you. Because that's the note we end on. I feel like that is the point that Shakespeare is trying to make with it, is the senselessness of clinging to the way things have always been done and the senselessness of clinging to feuds that... I just had a moment. I had a stupid epiphany. When we talk about uh, clinging to senseless obsessions and senseless rivalries, at the time that this is written, you're coming off of um, Elizabeth and Mary. And oh. this this incredible battle between Catholics and Protestants, which so many people are dying from. And you've even got um, people in Shakespeare's own family who are dying, who are being killed because they're trying to harbor beliefs that are, aren't acceptable to the state. I did it. I fixed Shakespeare. You fixed Shakespeare. I said, <laughs> I, well, I've never... So, Every play, I feel, he has a connection to what's going on in the world. Yeah, him. you don't write and in a vacuum. You don't write in a vacuum. But this one, I'm always like, it's just about love. No, there's there there is the undertone. There is a, a great or piece. Or we could just say it's stupid. Or we could just say it's stupid. But there is a great piece. There is a great undertone that we could pull from from it. Is like, it, when we're looking at our world today, these obsessions, these, these uh, cultural divides... That continue to butt up against each other and are causing strife. I mean, until the fifties, a black man and a white woman couldn't marry. Actually, later than that. Yeah, it was yeah until mid sixties. The seventies almost. You couldn't marry, um, but you would. I mean, there were people who are dying for love because of stupid held beliefs, stupid things that you don't even remember why you're doing. And the situations that they were put into by forces beyond their control. Oh. According to Cassie or at Greeley. Least, or at least this play. This play. We, she said we fixed Shakespeare, so we fixed the bard. Put a band According, on it. Put a we have slapped a band-aid on <laughs> Billy Shakes. And we finished all of the chocolate that I can eat without dying. According to Cassie Greenley, we fixed Billy Shakes for the be-all, end-all. So at this point, we sign off. I'm Ryan Hathill. I'm still Beth Roars. I'm Christina Hoekstra. Special guest. Special guest, Christina Hoekstra. Christina Hoekstra. I am the fixer of the societal implications of Romeo and Juliet. Otherwise known as Cassie Greenlee. Otherwise known as Cassie Greenlee. I'm Chase. Uh, Chase, our production man, Chase Greenlee. In the big chair. Yep, say goodnight, John Boy. Goodnight, John Boy. Goodnight, John Boy.